All right, we've got our first bit of legislation about AI coming out of the Biden administration. Normally, if you mix like 80-year-old government officials and hot new technologies with right and regulation, I'm getting a little nervous. But let's dive into this one and see if there's anything to be worried about. I'm Matt Johansson. This is Vulnerable You. I'm going to give you everything you need to know about cybersecurity in about 10 minutes. Biden signed an executive order this week on artificial intelligence. It's got about eight core principles, and I'm just going to go through them one by one. First and foremost, they're talking about creating safety standards for companies that are using AI. These safety standards actually include sharing the results of safety testing with the government. The focus here seems to be protecting consumers on content generated by AI being watermarked so that we're avoiding deep fakes and things like that. And also it looks like they're talking about cybersecurity programs being bolstered by AI to help find flaws in critical software. The second tenant is all about consumer privacy. I know that's what a lot of my colleagues are worried about with this boom in AI development. How much information are we sharing with these companies that are using that information to train their Model. For example, a lot of these AI tools used to help write software are companies putting proprietary like, crown jewel code into some sort of third-party AI tool and letting it help you debug it or write a new function or something like that. There's also concerns if you're putting like your users' data and personal information to an LLM and they're training on that. Well, this executive order seems to have guidelines that help evaluate AI's privacy policy. All right, number three, and this one's one of the big talking points of this whole executive order, is all about civil rights and equity. I remember back in the day, I think it was Microsoft made a Twitter chatbot that was some sort of like early stage AI kind of chatbot and just gave it the reins to a Twitter account. And within moments of being on the internet, it was spewing Nazi propaganda and all sorts of racist rhetoric. Garbage in, garbage out on AI models. So it looks like we're having some guidelines about how to avoid discrimination in AI model training. And while I'm glad this tenant exists, and I'm glad that we're getting ahead of some of the problems that we're foreseeing happening if you train AI on a bunch of racist garbage, there was some line items in here that worried me. The EO mentions creating best practices for AI's use in the justice, and that phrase alone terrifies me. While yes, best case scenario, you train an AI to be less discriminatory than the current justice system, if it's going to be trained on our current data of our current justice system, uh, I think we're gonna end up with more of the same. It also mentions best practices in use of crime sentencing and risk assessments and forecasting of crime. I could see this being used in weird ways by law enforcement and people in the legal profession saying, well, our AI assistant told us to pull that person over or the computer said we should knock down the door of this house. I don't know, this, this starts to worry me a bit. Either way, I'm glad the protection is in there and we're thinking about it. The fourth tenant is protecting consumers overall. Seems like this one is specifically tailored about healthcare practices. We've seen a rise of healthcare providers using AI to either speed things up or help them diagnose or just further treat patients. Well, obviously we need to have some guidelines on AI's use in the healthcare practice. There's, that's literal life and death scenarios. The fifth tenant is about supporting the labor market. If you were paying attention to the writer's strike that just happened, uh, there's a lot of protections that came together in their agreement about protecting against AI writers used by the studios. While writing is an easy one to spot, there's gonna be other implications about downsizing and cost cutting to have AI replace some section of the workforce, for sure. I'm glad to see this in here. We see some politicians talking about automation taking away jobs, mostly in factories and things like that, but 
obviously AI adds a new element of taking jobs away that aren't manual labor, that are more intellectual like uh, and creative, like writing, even illustration and things like that. And while I'm always worried about stifling innovation and things like this, I'm sure the horse and carriage operators were really upset when cars were invented and, you know, train operators were super upset when planes were invented, obviously to, you know, keep progressing. I'm glad this is in here. Maybe we can do it in an intelligent way and help find workers who are displaced other jobs. The sixth one seems to be about promoting innovation and competition in AI work. Looks like there's some provisions for grants and AI research, specifically around projects that are focused on tackling climate change, and then also new provisions for highly skilled immigrants in the US. I know a lot of people that work in cybersecurity get that special visa where they're a immigrant of high talent or whatever it is. It sounds like we're carving out some AI expert for that as well to try to attract the US market who have expertise in AI. The seventh tenant seems to be about working with international partners. So just some carve outs to say, hey, we're partnering with some of our allies uh, on AI research that's gonna benefit all of us. And the last one, number eight, is all about federal agencies' use of AI and having guidelines established for how they can procure it. If you ever worked in highly regulated industries, you'll know that it's kind of hard to procure some cutting edge technology due to some policy limitations on your side. I know financial institutions and government agencies saw a lot of this around cloud usage, right? Uh, hey, the data needs to live in our four walls. Cloud equals bad, right? So they've had to carve out new policies and figure out ways to use the cloud since it was the way that all of the technology providers that they wanted to make use of were going. Sounds like there's some guidance in this EO uh, of how agencies can procure things uh, that are using AI without worrying about breaking policy and things like that. All right, those are the eight tenants. Overall, I think this is actually a pretty good step. I was a little worried about regulation coming towards AI market this early, but it seems like this one's fair, balanced, and addresses a lot of concerns while still leaving a lot of overhead for innovation and things like that. If you read the executive order and you have any other takes that I missed, please leave a comment below. It's obviously a lot to read through and kind of understand uh, the regulation, and I might've missed something, but overall, I'm not too worried about this one. I think it's probably a good step in the right direction. All right, for this next story, we're gonna stay on the Biden administration for a really quick one. Some more cybersecurity news came out of the admin this week where the US led a coalition of 40 countries that are vowing to never pay ransomware demands ever again. They're calling this the International Counter Ransomware Initiative. And the US is leading it because it seems like according to statistics, we are the victim of about 46% of all ransomware attacks. I'm gonna read this quote from the Deputy National Security Advisor of the Biden administration, Ann Neuberger, who said, quote, as long as there is money flowing to ransomware criminals, this is a problem that will continue to grow. We talked about this one a few times on this channel about the MGM and Caesars attacks and how that was a perfect case study of one organization who paid part of the ransom and one who did not, and how each one affected their ability to restore normal operations and the financial impact to both. It seems like this initiative is going to be operating at a federal level. So not so much enforcing that private companies don't actually pay ransom, but eliminating their ability to pay to known ransomware accounts internationally. So these 40 nations are gonna share basically a, a block list, like a, a list of financial accounts that they will not allow money to be transferred into from uh, the Federal Reserve. Seems like there's a few parts of this initiative. One is that information sharing network, right? Anything that we see from these 40 nations about the money moving around and sharing that and using that information to block those kinds of payments. And another part of the initiative, looks like they're saying they're gonna use some new AI technology to analyze blockchain transactions for illicit activity. Obviously, most ransomware payments actually happen in cryptocurrencies, not in US dollars. So this is 
is obviously a strong part of the initiative. I've said it before, I'm on team, don't pay the bad guys. So I, I'm obviously a big fan of this. I'm gonna see if it actually has teeth and if it's effective at all. But uh, I do agree, the more money that we pay them, the more we incentivize them to keep doing this. And they're gonna keep taking down critical parts of our infrastructure because there's a higher likelihood that they're gonna get a payout. So they attack things like hospitals and schools and then you saw casinos where there's money. Uh, obviously I'm less concerned about casinos going down than I am a hospital, but these are the kinds of things that these criminals are up to. And yeah, I'm a big fan of any initiative to try to cut off their funding source. All right, you've heard of supply chain security. How about threat actor and cyber criminal supply chain? That's what this next story touches on and it's super fascinating. There's some research that came out this week from Infoblocks and they're talking about a threat actor called Prolific Puma. And it seems like this group has gone unrecognized by us defenders for a long time. And so this report is trying to shed some light on a critical part of cyber criminal supply chain, which is the domains used to host either malware or phishing attacks or things like that. So I never really thought about this, but obviously there needs to be some source of these domain names that cyber criminals can make use of to launch their attacks. And once you use these domains, they get burnt really quickly, right? Uh, threat intelligence tools will mark them as bad. Google will mark them as bad. Cloudflare will start blocking stuff. So they're generally one use if that, if you can get a use out of it before they're burnt. So since they get burned so quickly, you have to have an operation to register them in mass. And how do you do that without getting blocked as well? So that's where Prolific Puma seems to have come in. They've created a system where they can mass register domain names and mass register link shortened versions of them to maybe hide uh, how suspicious the link actually looks. And then they've created a market to actually sell these domains usage to other cybercrime gangs and things like that. One of the interesting parts about this report is that Prolific Puma wasn't discovered via malware or phishing attacks. They were actually discovered via DNS analytics. So Infoblox, by analyzing all sorts of DNS data, was able to hone in on, hey, one group of people is doing this bad domain registration over and over and this link shortening service. Through these analytics, they were able to notice particular fingerprints, right? Things that uh, all these bad domains had in common, especially for the link shortened version. A lot of them used .us, top level domains, and they were like three to four randomized uh, alphanumeric characters. So in the report, things like vf8.us, 2ug.us, things like that. And between that and the, they most of them used name silo, which is a cheap domain register uh, and hosting provider. You could start to fingerprint, hey, this is the same group. These are all the same bad domains. And you draw the circles tighter and tighter, and you can actually start to find bad domains that haven't been used yet. This report goes into a lot of detail about indicators of compromise, things and parts of the fingerprint that I just mentioned of how to identify these bad domains. But it also goes into the economics behind this whole operation and who this threat actor actually is. They also have a really good video of an example campaign that actually has malware on the other end, and you can see how the different domains line up to help deliver this malware. I'm super interested in this one because I never even thought about this whole supply chain of whole groups of people just there to supply domains to a whole bunch of other different threat actors to use in their phishing and malware campaign. Makes sense, where there's money to be made, there's going to be businesses springing up to make the money illegal or legal. Infoblox is also saying there's an opportunity here. If you can disrupt this really important part of cyber criminals supply chain, how much can you actually impact on things that we're trying to defend against? Anyway, I can't go into the whole report. It's really good. It's really long. The description's in the link below. While you're down there, leave a like, leave a comment. If you read the report, what'd you find interesting in it? Did you learn something in it? And maybe share this channel with some friends. It really helps us out. All right, name a more iconic duo than crypto attacks and North Korea's Lazarus group. We've talked about 
about them a bunch. They've stolen about a billion dollars in crypto this year alone, funneled it all back to North Korea. And this week we have uncovered a new technique that they're trying to target crypto experts and engineers specifically. So in the past, Lazarus Group seems to have targeted exchanges themselves or even whales that are holding a lot of crypto that they can steal off of by only having one victim. But we've talked about in this channel, the Mixin Exchange and others were attacked and employee of the exchanges were hacked. And through that and some back channeling and escalation of privilege, they were able to funnel off a bunch of the crypto that that exchange had on the back end. Well, now this most recent campaign seems to play along those same themes, same MO, uh, combines social engineering and a multi-stage malware attack to actually target specific engineers right where they hang out in a Discord channel full of crypto experts. So the report from Elastic Security Labs has a great diagram outlining the entire attack chain. And at each step of the attack chain, there's specific offenses going on and defensive evasion techniques going on to try to disguise itself from protections that are gonna be on most people's machines and on Discord side. The crux of this one seems to be a fake arbitrage bot. So these people thought that they were installing some sort of Python-based bot that would help them make money off the price difference between different exchanges, arbitrage. So by crafting the social engineering message to be specifically something that crypto engineers would install, now all of a sudden your targets are obviously going to have some sort of access to a whole bunch of cryptocurrency, which is what Lazarus is after ultimately. There was five stages to the attack, each one evading different defenses and furthering the goal of eventually getting in a full remote access Trojan or a rat called Candy Corn. I'm not gonna go through the full execution flow. You can read the report yourself, link in the description below, but this is a really detailed report. It's a really cool look into nation state sponsored attack methodologies um, and you can really learn how to protect yourself from it. And I'm sure Discord is reading this, learning how to up their defenses on their side as well. Anyway, if you've got a bunch of crypto in an account somewhere on your machine, maybe don't download random Python files from a Discord because someone told you that they're gonna make you rich quick. Not victim blaming here. Obviously, psychology works and this is what happens. Phishing is around because it works, not because you guys are stupid or anything like that if you fell for this, but just please, you know, up your level of paranoia when you're downloading random files, especially from a Discord server or a Telegram chat or something like that. All right, let's go through some quick stories to round out the week before we sign off that I didn't want to go deep dive into. So first off, this one's super interesting. It seems like some Russian threat actors actually hacked the JFK taxi dispatch system. If you've ever landed at a major airport like JFK, you'll notice the line of taxis is really long. And those taxis are also waiting in their own line, uh, not just you waiting in line to get in a taxi, they're waiting in line on their end to pick up a fare. So their line, while they're just sitting around in a parking lot nearby, waiting their turn is unpaid. So it seems like these threat actors hacked into the dispatch system and then started selling to taxi drivers a line skip. The report on how they did this was actually super interesting. I'm gonna read a bunch of it. They actually bribed someone on the inside to insert a flash drive containing malware into computers connected to the dispatch system. This allowed them to obtain unauthorized access via a Wi-Fi connection. They also stole computer tablets connected to the dispatch system. So they stole hardware, they dropped malicious flash drives, they did some Wi-Fi hacking. It's like a 2008 pen test that I would have done back in the day. It's all the greatest hits. Seems like it worked, they got in, and then they were running kind of an illegal operation, selling these spots at the head of the line. That's a wild one. All right, next up, we saw the Lockbit website 
update a few days ago, and they named Boeing as a ransomware victim, which got us all buzzing. And then Boeing actually came out yesterday and just confirmed, yep, they are a victim of the, the ransomware. The attacks were aimed at the company's parts and distribution businesses, so flight safety remains unaffected. There's some speculation on this one. The ransom demand has fallen off the website. Don't know if that means they paid the ransom or negotiated something else, but we're waiting to hear more details on that from Boeing, but it seems like they're through it one way or the other. All right, that's all we got this week. Thanks for watching another edition of Vulnerable You. If you like this, please share it with a friend, leave a comment, let me know how it's going. If you haven't already, sign up for the free newsletter version of all the news I'm talking about. All Everything I talked about would have already been in your email inbox a few days ago if you signed up for the free version of that. You can find me on Twitter at Matt J, and I look forward to hearing you guys. Thanks so much. Stay safe, stay secure.